Hi everyone, welcome to the first ever episode of The In-Between, a podcast for people who are currently navigating the in-between space, the messy middle, whatever you want to call it. I'm really excited to welcome my first guest, Syra Niazi. Syra is the founder of Living London, a platform which features London's hidden gems. She runs workshops, tours, a blog. She's a community worker. Um, she recently published a book called On Belonging, Reflections of a Renegade Guide, and um, is also the cause of much of my anxiety. My sister, <laughs> Syra, <laughs> welcome to the show. <laughs> much anxiety oh. no 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 I'm joking I love you <laughs> okay, I just put, thought I'd put it as like a disclaimer <laughs> in case people didn't understand why we were being so friendly okay. are we gonna be friendly oh great <laughs> um so let's start by talking about your book you recently um published a book on your reflections as a guide mm -hmm. you did that while you were away in Pakistan mm -hmm. um, can you tell us a little bit about it sure um, so I recently published my book called On Belonging Reflections of Renegade Guide so my book is a series of personal essays on many different topics including mental health being a woman of colour business exploring and communications um, and so it's actually a really long story so Living London the project actually started out as a book project I was working on so I wanted to basically create a legacy of all the places that I discovered and all the people I'd met. Um, and I thought a book would be the perfect way to do that because it, it would really allow me to kind of get in deeper and really kind of uh, share the stories of the really special places and people mm. that I discovered. And there were places that a lot of uh, the places I actually talk about no longer exist. And so for me, it was going to be in part a historical archive. Um, and so I started writing that book about six or seven years ago and I got about gosh about 170,000 words in wow. and then I abandoned the project for some reason I couldn't push forward and I couldn't finish it mm. uh, instead I ended up having a photography exhibition in a former fishmongers in East London wow. and I showed off some of my favorite pictures of the places that I discovered because I'm actually a really keen photographer and with the pictures I also included sort of snippets of the stories that were going to be in the book and then I ended up leaving the country for a bit and then when I returned, I I kind of put the project on a back burner. I turned I turned it into a blog, but that was it. And then I kind of thought, um, there's no way I'm going to go back to the book. I'm never going to have that time. I'm never going to be in the right headspace. And so years passed and I kind of just uh, drew a line under that project. And um, then it was, I think it was sometime last year, I saw that there was a competition running and it was a life writing competition. Mm -hmm. And... Um, you basically needed to write a an essay or a personal piece about something that's passionate to you. And so I thought, oh, God, this is a really brilliant opportunity for me to talk about what it means to be a renegade guide. So like a rebel guide mm. and to like, you know, be kind of entrusted with people's lives and to be given this opportunity, this really wonderful opportunity to show them special places and share stories and, and really just listen to them and hear about their stories and their lives and places that appeal to them. And so I started writing the essay. Uh, sadly, I never finished it, obviously. <laughs> and the deadline passed. And I, as I was writing, I realised that there was so much more I wanted to say. It wasn't just, you know, about being a guide. I was thinking about all these other things I wanted to talk about. Exploration, mental health, um, healing. Exploration as a way to learn, as a way to discover, as a way to connect. Mm. And so I thought, at the time, I'd planned to visit Lahore with my mum 
and I knew I'd have about six or seven weeks my mum wanted to do wanted to see her family and she would say I had some errands to run and I knew I'd be very bored and I thought this would be the perfect time for me to to write so I left my phone at home I, I heard you didn't even have wi-fi I didn't have did wi-fi. you used to steal it from the neighbours when you it needed from it, the it was terrible. <laughs> they thought I was really cheap but I tried to explain to them no I'm not cheap I just really don't want to go on the internet it's distracting and I need to write this book and so I, I wrote, I wrote the book. And so I wrote the majority of the book while I was in Pakistan, and it was really ideal because it gave me this, the the geographical and physical space and the mental space that I needed from London to be able to really reflect and mm-hmm. to look at the bigger picture. And it was also really nice because I got to write about my experiences of living in Lahore at the same time and how Lahore really shaped me, um, but in a quite a genuine way. Um, and so, yeah, that's the story behind my book. I came back and I thought, God, I'm never going to get around to editing it. And to be honest, if I didn't come back in a pandemic, came back in the height of lockdown. I literally came back a few days before the UK went into lockdown. And I finally had an opportunity to actually edit it. Because I thought, actually, there's no way I'm going to go back and edit it. It's such a grueling process. And it was quite emotionally tolling, writing about these really personal things. And, you know, writing about my journey and, and sharing things that, quite difficult to share Mm. and um I guess another reason I wrote the book is because a big part of me thought I would be leaving London for good and I wanted to leave behind a legacy of of everything that I'd learned and done yeah and I I, mean you always do call it like your life's work yeah I would I really would I mean I guess I I didn't really know what was going to happen in the world post coming back from Pakistan I really thought you know I'm going to move to Pakistan permanently I might get married there I might settle down here and so when I came back and it was lockdown, already the world was beginning to change drastically and all the commissions that I'd been um, given kind of dried up and mm. I kind of came back and a lot of my workshops were cancelled, my tours were cancelled. And so it was like I had this kind of weird sense of, of things going to change. Yeah. And so it was a really perfect time to write about it because I think even if we do go back to, the, we won't ever, but if we go back to the way things were, mm. um, we'll never have that same... I, I guess it will just be very different. A lot yeah. of those places won't exist because of um, because of, the, of of the businesses going um, under, and so it won't ever be the same. And so it was ironic because I wrote it because I thought I was going to be leaving London, but I didn't actually think no, the world whole world is going to change, and I, it's actually a, a legacy about not just my own personal journey, but what London used to look like pre COVID. Yeah. Um, not to sound really morbid, because I do think things will get better. Um, but yeah, so that's just a little bit about the book and sorry it took me quite a few months to to re-edit it mm. and I ended up going to stay with my sister in Birmingham she lives a very monastic life in you know this <laughs> little flat by a motorway with absolutely nothing <laughs> close by it's got a few canals and that's it and so I spent a lot of my time editing my book there I mean it was quite a grueling process and it was quite difficult and quite boring sometimes um especially because it's so personal but yeah mm. and then I finished it and then I self-published my book at the end pretty much the end of last year um, and I was really happy to do that. I really wanted to get it published. Yeah. Um, and I approached a lot of publishers, but it's I just didn't have the patience. And I knew because it was a project that was so close to my heart, mm. the longer I left it, the more likely it would be that I would never publish it mm. um, because I just felt really exposed and vulnerable. And so I, I ended up going down the self-publishing route. And um, I'm happy it's out there. But even, yeah, but even now having, you know, a few months having passed since I wrote, I published it, I feel like I'm in a completely different mind space and mm. I feel like it's, you know, it really captures a certain specific time in my life. Yeah, that's so amazing. And having read your book, I I felt a lot of, of, of that. And I think when I read it, I felt, felt a lot of like the wonderment and curiosity um, 
and I think it really helped me like it helped other people who are kind of like stuck in an in-between space where they don't really know how to navigate life or want to find those moments of magic and so I guess you know my next question to you would be um, you know in the context that we're currently living in and you know having been a tour guide and so much of your work being connecting with random people connecting with strangers like I've been on your tours and it's it's just like it brings together so many different people from different parts of the world um, in a really unique space and those moments of spontaneity um, that people really miss and how would you what advice would you give people who are currently in this in between kind of stuck at home um you know really feeling like they've lost a part of that magic like being able to experience going out meeting a random person going on one of your tours and finding hidden gems and um, you know just going into London Mm. itself like it's something that um seems so new it seems so new and it seems so kind of um forbidden Mm. almost uh how would you what advice would you give to people to try and keep that curiosity Mm. alive that wonderment alive in our current situation mm. I feel like the concept of this podcast is really interesting um you know being in the in-between and I feel like a lot of people have lived their whole lives in the in-between mm. whereas a lot of people haven't and they've had very very kind of set paths very regimented lives and all of a sudden with the pandemic and with lockdown and with a lot of people being put on furlough people have been thrust into this mindset and a lot of them don't really know how to mm. deal with it they don't know how to deal with the uncertainty they don't know how to deal with the free time and the space and free time and space can actually be incredibly debilitating mm. like I mean I think at the beginning there was a real novelty you know people were making bread, banana bread and they were <laughs> making cake and they were going for walks and they were really enjoying the freedom whereas I feel like now I think that's kind of given away to this feeling of, of loss and this feeling of mm. being lost mm. um, and floating a little bit yeah. and that's kind of a, a state that's been really permanent for me throughout my life because I always feel like I'm in between in between places and I feel like what really grounds me and it's something that I think a lot of people are kind of coming to as well is is um is walking mm. and exploring and wondering and I feel like yeah there is still a lot of room for spontaneity there is still a lot of room for connection you know I was at the bus stop the other day and there was this elderly lady wearing a mask and she ended up talking to me <laughs> for ages and it turned out that her kids went to the same school as, as me and they were my age and you know she was talking to me about her life and you know, people are really lonely and I feel like there are still so many opportunities to connect to people. Um, and I feel like there is a lot more added anxiety to that. But at the same time, we're all human beings, we're all social creatures. And I think to an essential degree, we will kind of go back to wanting to talk to people and wanting to have these encounters. And, you know, even during lockdown, I've had so many interesting encounters with so many people, like going to local cemetery, mm. talking to an undertaker and telling me about his stories <laughs> of being an undertaker during a pandemic. And, um, you know, the other day I walked to a temple and it was closed, but, you know, the door was ajar and I opened it and I asked if I could have a little wander around the grounds. And the monk was said, yeah, no, sure, go. You've got 10 minutes, but, you know, you can still go. So I feel like... My, the whole concept of living London was all about knocking doors that are closed. And yeah. even during a pandemic, you'll find that you can still do that. Um, I mean, obviously, you have to do it in a safe way and you have to kind of um, be really mindful of the fact that, you know, you don't want to put other people at risk. But there are still so many places, you know, yeah, you could. there is a lockdown right now, but there are still so many places to explore and things to do and things to see. And I think that's the great thing about living in a city like London. Um, and, you know, parks have opened up to people, walkways have opened up to people. Walking is such a fantastic activity to do. Um, I mean, I work in Brixton and just walking around there. 
so much to see, you know, there's always so people kind of, there's so much life and so much activity, the markets are still yeah. buzzing, people are still around and during the pandemic I got a bit of work in teasing market, interviewing people who are kind of, have their own businesses and that was really nice as well because you just see that life does kind of go on in some way, shape or form and even though it has come to a standstill, feels like it's come to a standstill, life is still pushing on you know mm. there's people going fishing in the one river wonder <laughs> you know they're in their waders there are people kind of going for runs there are people um talking to other people you know place of worship are open there, there's yeah. a lot that's open and there's still you know the great thing about london is there's so much to see outside so much architecture so much wonderment so much magic so much serendipity so i don't feel like I feel like it's probably a lot less prescriptive now, whereas before, you know, when people wanted to do things, they'd, they'd have to just, they could be quite thoughtless about it. They could just go to the cinema, they could go to the shopping centre, they could go to... I miss the cinema. A theatre. I know, me too. I love <laughs> cinema so much. But, you know, it just didn't take planning, it didn't take thinking, yeah. it didn't allow for, for moments of spontaneity in the same way that going for your daily walk does. You know, mm. people are getting to know their neighbours, they're getting to know people around them. That's they're getting true. to see things in a different way, they're getting to appreciate nature, sunrises, sunsets, the weather, we've become so much more attuned to the weather um, because it's so much more connected to our daily lives in a way that... No, it might not have been in, in pre-pandemic life. So there is, there's so much lesson. There are so many lessons that we can gain and there's so much unique beauty and inspiration we can get from this time mm. as well. So it doesn't have, it's, it's about how you look at it and it doesn't have to all be, um, it doesn't have to all be doom and gloom. And, you know, yeah. it's easy to say that because it's a very difficult time, but at the same time, we have so much control over the way we think about things. And it's a, it's a really nice time to be able to escape through the imagination as well. And that's something that I'm a big, big advocate of you know mm. reading books escaping through literature um you know I've been revisiting my archives a lot lately and I, these pictures keep popping out to me and they're pictures that I haven't seen in years and I'm like oh my god that place existed <laughs> I remember that person I met mm. um and that's really beautiful in and of itself and I think it's such a nice time to reflect and to to go back a little bit and think about the things that really mattered to us pre-pandemic and whether they still hold that same meaning that's really lovely I remember going to Teeting Market with you and just um you just going up to random storeholders and being like how can I take a photo of you mm-hmm. <laughs> um how's pandemic life and it just being like tumbleweed in the market but I remember we went past um a, a small Colombian um, restaurant and the woman was was saying how she, it was always her dream to open this place and in a few years time she wanted to open a restaurant and just seeing the fact that people are still holding on to their dreams and pushing through mm-hmm. the pain even though it is a really difficult time, I think that also gave me a lot of hope. Um, And I guess kind of going back to the idea of the in-between, I guess one of the reasons I did want to start this podcast is I also constantly find myself in spaces which are the in-between. And I remember like when when a lot of people leave uni, I remember when I left uni, um, the in-between was like a really daunting space between, you know, like you've just finished everything, like you've done your degree and, you know, you should like walk into a job and get it. And um, all of these, all of these stages of your life should just fall into place. Mm. Um, and yet you find yourself just like struggling. Mm. And I think when I first left uni, it was like, um, I fell into like a depressive stage. Like It's really easy mm. to just get really bogged down get really anxious and then when you're in a job you're like I wish I used Mm. I wish I could go back and use that time for good and like actually do my passion projects and even though you know my financial situation might not be great um I wish I didn't worry so much Mm, um and I think as especially as we kind of grow older and 
our in-betweens look different and we're better mm-hmm. at kind of dealing yeah. with them mm-hmm. um it might get a bit easier but it's still always like the uncertainty yeah is always really going to be difficult because you don't know when you're going to get your next paycheck and mm. you for a lot of people who are kind of like furloughed mm. um people who are like I recently got made redundant and you know you think it gets easier with time like constantly being in this in between of like figuring it out again or mm. finding out what um the next steps are sometimes it does feel like you're in a bit of a hole mm. and so I when I look around and the reason that I wanted you to be one of my first um podcast guests is when I look, think about people who are actually really good at being in the in-between mm. like are very well seasoned <laughs> like, in between <laughs> really life um but like from from your experiences you kind of like skipped different you've kind of skipped different career paths you've had to like upskill you've had to like every few years you're kind of trying to find your feet and Mm, um finding new things that you're passionate about or trying to make living London work Mm. and and a lot of the time you are kind of in an in-between phase but I always see you kind of even thriving in Mm. those um, stages of instability Mm. so is there any kind of advice that you would give to people who who are in an in-between phase or just don't really know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And I think especially now, like, it is winter, the economic situation is looking really bad. And for a lot of people, it does feel like they can't see it light at the mm-hmm. end of the tunnel. Um, how do you better navigate the in-between space? Yeah. Um, that's a really interesting question. I... So I, I actually really, I know this might sound crazy, but I really struggle with being in the in-between state. It's really exhausting. Damn it, Sai. <laughs> no, no, no. I brought you on here for one reason. <laughs> no, 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 but it's, it I know better. you're good at it. No, I'm good at it, but it's really like, it's hard. Like it take it took a really, really long time. Um, You know, I think, I think what's really helped for me is just being really, 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 okay with the idea of transience mm. and impermanence mm. and it's taken on me on that can mm. I quickly I wrote down a line from your book which okay. I thought was really <laughs> um apt for yeah. the current times we're living in it was actually on your chapter called tra- on transience yeah. um and you wrote as a guide, it became increasingly important um, to me to enable and empower others to belong anywhere. I longed for people to feel that their heart could become attached to any place in an almost alchemical fashion, to turn loneliness and isolation into a sense of belonging through love, kindness and connection. And I thought that was really interesting in in today's context of the loneliness pandemic mm. um, and this idea of transience but also root trying to root yourself Mm. um while being in that state Mm. as well yeah I mean I think there's always room for there's always room for service there's always room to and I really genuinely get so much of my well-being and I feel so grounded by just um giving other people opportunities and also just being kind Mm. and, and and give and being warm and you know it is very difficult to be in the in between stage but I don't think I could function in any other state I feel like I've become so comfortable with it um I mean I get attached to people I get attached to places I appreciate all the communities that I've been a part of over the years I really appreciate every job that I've had and I've had a lot of jobs and I really feel like they have equipped me with so so much of um what I need to get through life 
But I feel like for me, and I, this is something that's quite powerful, and I've read it a few in a few places. It's it's about like not attaching yourself to jobs, but attaching yourself to values. Mm. And I I feel very powerfully, I feel very strongly about this because I genuinely believe that if you attach yourself to values, you will never be without. Because, mm. you know, your values will be like a compass and they'll always be guiding you in the right direction. And for me, my values are, um, you know, kindness, service, belonging, enabling others to feel a sense of connection mm. um, and community. I mean, I, everything I do is rooted around community. And I, I've been very lucky because opportunity I really feel like you get what you give in life and I feel like every time I find myself in the in-between stage something will come up yeah and I mean right now I'm living in a (laughs) historic house in Wimbledon village one of the fanciest parts of London I'm living with a group of very different people a Colombian writer his 17 year old son um you know a, a lovely guy from Syria just some really interesting human beings that I really enjoy being in the company of and I see my my role here as being um, someone that is is kind of been put here to bring people together and and create the sense of home in this historical house, and you know even the idea of transience is something that I've kind of gone back to because this house is being sold, in you know I don't know how long I'm going to be here I have no idea what I'm going to be mm. doing after this, and you know I'm not going to lie and say that I'm totally idea with okay with that because yeah. there is a lot of anxiety attached to not knowing. Um, and being in a state of uncertainty and, and financial instability as well. I mean, it's not all like, you know, sunshine and roses. It's really tough sometimes. And I, I feel like I'm really struggling um, to, to figure out what's next. And what I, But what really grounds me is just being present and realising that, you know, sometimes we don't understand our life. And there's a really great quote by um, Kierkegaard, I think his name is. And it's all about, you know, we only like understand life by looking backwards. backwards yeah. And it's really true. Joining the dots. Yeah, and it's really true. And I think every time, you know, wait, the first book I ever wrote was about a group of dissimilar Londoners, Freegans <laughs> coming together under, you know, in this dis- in this uh, abandoned building in Hammersmith and living together under these shared communitarian ethos. And the other That's day, you! Yeah, and the other but, day... But you're living in a palace. Exactly. The other day I was with one and we were in the reduced aisle of co-op and he was talking to all the staff there and he, you know, got a whole load of shopping for £2. <laughs> and I just thought, oh my God, I'm living in freaking freedom. I'm literally living in a palace with a bunch of, like, you know, interesting socialists um, who probably don't even, uh, you know, acknowledge themselves or admit to themselves mm. that they are socialists, mm. which they are. And it's just really... It's fascinating. And, you know, mm. I really, really feel like... You just sometimes have to trust your journey. And I think being Muslim is great because I just kind of leave things to God as well sometimes. Yeah. And I just try to like, I try to understand that my path is, no one really knows what's going to happen. And mm. you can plan, you can plan, and you can plan. Yeah. And your plans might turn to crap. I mean, literally next month I was planning on moving to Pakistan. I was, you know, thinking of getting married there and starting a whole new life, which is why I created this book and which is why. And I, I had no idea I'd be, you know, living in, in this palace, you know, mm. in my own flat. Like, I never, ever, 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 ever... Like, this is coming from someone who's never even had their own room in London their whole life. I've literally felt like I've lived a very nomadic life, even in, in the house that I live in and grew up in. And so to be able to have this opportunity to live by myself in a flat in... A palace. In, <laughs> in a historic house. Um, it's really mad. And it's... Um, I guess it just gives me confidence in the fact that, you know... Things are out of my control in a big way, and you never and know anything what's going to happen. happen. Anything can happen. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I really have this 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 feeling that anything is possible, and yeah. I've always felt that. I think I think when I see, when I see your life, it really is a testament to that ethos or that mantra of um, when you give, you get, and 
so many things on your path have kind of come like really randomly and spontaneously through these even so even even this house like when we first found out that you were living in a palace everyone at home was like what the hell <laughs> this is yeah, so random and it's so funny. um in the middle of Wimbledon village and the fact that there's like a huge music room and a dining room and um at first we all thought it was haunted and Sophie came and like prayed a lot <laughs> in every room to make sure that the ghosts wouldn't come mm. um but just and there's this huge garden at the back and it just feels like such like you're living in a period drama yeah. and <laughs> it's really it's really wild but even even the way that you got this it was through your random connections and through just going out on a whim and emailing lots of people and making um friends in in different places and when they have opportunities they let you know about it mm. and it's such a specific random mm. serendipitous mm. all of these things that happen um, but that so much of it is a testament to just like like you said like knocking on doors mm. and giving mm. and getting and attention I mean yeah. I think so much of life is about attention being attentive to people yeah and being and, and giving them platforms to just and listening I mean I, I genuinely feel like the most important part of everything that I do is listening and it's funny because I'm a tour guide and I'm supposed to be doing all the talking but mm. what I enjoy the most is listening I enjoy listening to people's stories and I enjoy caring about their dreams and really kind of giving them permission to indulge in in their dreams mm. and 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 to, to dream really big as well because you know I think as a tour guide I'm I'm quite um you know I'm I'm someone that people aren't going to see ag- again and I'm someone that I I really consider my my work to be my vocation and it's mm. not just about me showing people places it's really about me giving people an opportunity to talk about themselves mm. and to and to give them an opportunity to reimagine their lives and their pathways by sharing the paths and lives of other people and, and people in London who who have just lived these incredibly extraordinary lives and a lot of them are outliers you know they don't, they don't really fit in they're kind of people who live on the fringes of, of society and and the people who really thrive and people who don't who aren't really kind of present in the modern world in the way that you know a lot of younger people are now mm. and and it's just that sense of of um of love and passion they have for life which is being eroded or it's mm. just being sold off and commoditized and I mean there's one person's house I went to which just shocked me so much and he sadly passed away but he was a civil servant um he's from Kenya I can't um and he lived in Wandsworth and he didn't he hated cameras he never let anyone take pictures of his home but he loved cooking he was a poet he would host these ama- amazing dinner parties his whole house was incredible he used to use wood from skips and carve it out and create these incredible ottoman-esque style um, moorish designs all over his house and he did that from passion and he hated the idea of coming home watching tv and this is a, a modern true story mm. and and i just was so in awe when i went to his house and i saw where he lived and how he lived and and the fact that people just do things for joy and passion not to mm. share them. The fact that he created this kind of temple mm. home for himself, but he didn't want people to take pictures of it and he didn't mm. want... That's so powerful. Because yeah. I feel like so much of today, you feel like you always have to be relevant. Mm. And there's so much pressure to... Even when you're doing things, um, you kind of have to... You feel like you have to show that you're doing things mm. and you feel like you have to get lots of followers and you have to be really wrapped up to you know wrapped up in like the social media Mm. world and it's really hard to detach yourself from that because you almost think success comes from you know being um, like found out Mm. being noticed Mm. and having thousands of followers and sharing all your work with like thousands and thousands of people Mm. whereas 
the whole doing things just for the sake of doing things mm. without sharing them and it being like a, mm. a private experience yeah. but you still benefiting from it Definitely. is something that I think especially the younger generation um can't we can't really get our heads mm. around that pe- like people do all of this work like they have this whole house they've mm. spent years their decades of their lives carving things mm. um and don't want people to come and take photos of it and, and put it up mm. and even just that air of mystery mm. um do you do you have trouble kind of navigating that side of things like the social media i know mm, i know definitely. especially when you started living london so much of it was so personal because it was your your personal experiences with mm. with people yeah. um and even your book i know that you were constantly like oh, i don't know if i should publish this mm. it's so personal yeah. or i don't i don't really want like mum and like family to read it um and like that constant battle of like what is oversharing and I know for you it was like uh, your identity versus like your business but they're so intertwined Mm. so how do you have you ever had problems navigating that and how do you navigate it I've really struggled with it since I started up living London and you know I have people saying you know but living London is you and I'm like no it's not I've always wanted to (laughs) I remember sometimes you like change your profile like sometimes it's you as a profile picture and sometimes I I don't want any trace of myself I really 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 (laughs) struggle because it is such a personal project and you know one of the main reasons I never published the living London book was because a lot of the stories that I was discovering were so sacred and they were so personal to other people that mm. I didn't feel like it was my place to share it. Yeah. And um, and that's why I didn't. And I, I really, I feel like we've lost that sense of sacredness about and self-preservation about, you know, people's stories, people's lives, people's homes, people's places and that they connect with are so personal to them. And, yeah. you know, not everyone deserves access to them. And even me writing my book, it was... I've written a lot of books and I so know. many of You've them. You've written like seven. Syra, one of my favourite quotes Syra has ever said no, is... No, I have to, I have to. And me, me and my other sister constantly just laugh at this. But the honesty of it... Um, Cyril, me, me and Sophie, like, you just, you archive so, you have millions and millions of things that you archive, you write all of these books, like, you're, you know, you're so interested about yourself and and Sarah and Sarah was like I'm just so curious about myself and it was oh the God, realest sound like a crazy but it was it was the it's realest like thing, but it was the realest thing that anybody had and it's, I'd never met somebody who was actually that curious with themselves no. that they wrote for the sake of writing to understand themselves and I guess watching you grow up like from the age of 16 you were to carry around these like huge <laughs> folders oh, no. like huge like thousand page folders with um remnants of like journal entries or things that you found or flyers that you found which were funny mm. um and just seeing you write prolifically and publish lots of books just to put it on your bookshelf and not to share it with anyone and I don't think I've ever met anyone or come across anyone who is kind of so curious about themselves (laughs) (laughs) curious about yourself but not in a way where you're obsessed with yourself (laughs) or or vain but in a sense where you're trying to understand yourself and you're not doing it for people to see mm. which is what so much off which is what so many people do it's you you write so people can read mm. it you you want everyone to know your thoughts we have twitter because we mm. we're obsessed with um you know having space where we can talk about ourselves and our opinions 
Whereas so much of your philosophy has been, I'm just going to write a book, a poetry book, and another one, and another one, and another one, and just put it on my shelf. Like <laughs> it's it's really it's an illness. Like, I really struggle. I uh, often I spend so many years trying to rid myself of myself and you know I have this whole thing of like really wanting to disconnect with this ego self which is you know identifies with with you know the just the I and you know I really really struggle with it because I just I literally cannot stop my mind sometimes I write I used to go through this phase where I just only think in rhymes and I'd always be writing poetry and I really felt like I had some kind of severe <laughs> severe illness and I was just like this isn't healthy and then as soon as I lost it because I did lose it and I couldn't write anymore and I couldn't think anymore I was just like god Zahra why did you always berate yourself for being able to just to think and mm-hmm. and to really really kind of uh observe life and access life through through thoughts and through writing and through metaphors and mm-hmm. and I I felt upset that I spent so much of my life trying to rid myself and I think that was right what writing was about for me it was just me wanting to quieten my mind and just basically just remove myself from myself mm-hmm. because I had I you know it's very problematic as well you know I had a lot of gone through phases of depression anxiety and and for me writing was really a way for me to heal and for me to express myself and for me to kind of um just be honest in a way that I could never really be and I think I know not to go off on a tangent but I think you know growing up as a a Muslim first generation Mm -hmm. there are so few people you can talk about you know honestly about things that are really personal things and so we go through them on our own and, and it's really difficult and and often you know I feel like the only person who really knows ourselves are ourselves mm. and I feel like you know there's a quote and it's something about you know uh God is closer to you than your jugular, jugular vein and it's um you know and it's just this sense of knowing yourself will mean that you get to know God mm. and you really find answers outside of yourself and there are so many things that I've wanted to talk to and talk to people about or share things and I thought well, actually you know maybe I should talk to the therapist because this is really deep heavy dark yeah. stuff and and I just always thought that actually no you know, there's never been a time where I've talked about things and I've been, I've left feeling fuller. I always leave feeling emptier and sadder mm, and feel like I've given really myself away. And so for me, writing was a way to, to share my thoughts with myself and make sense of them because I really find, I, I really don't think that you find the answers outside of yourself sometimes. Mm. And I don't know if that's right or correct, but um, I do feel like there's a lot of power in being able to make sense of our own journeys and our yeah, own lives. And, and I think through that, you get to create and get to really um, build and cultivate these qualities that are so necessary to survive. And, you know, things like empathy, gratitude, love, kindness, it all comes from really knowing ourselves and and, and knowing other people. Um, That's really beautiful. I think it's really interesting because it, I think it takes a lot to be able to be that self-aware and to kind of step away from yourself and look inwards and see and reflect upon all of those things. So instead of offloading it on somebody else, I think both are healthy. Mm, I think yeah. it is always healthy to kind of, mm, um, if you feel like you need the help or you need someone to talk to, it can sometimes, saying things out loud can mm. help us understand them better. Yeah, but I guess people deal with things in different way and there's not one right way of mm. going about um, something. Do you have a story or um, a person in particular on your travels, on your tours um, that really stands out to you? 
that you oh want to no, share because like there are there, there are there are so many there are so many stories of like tours that I've been on with you where I remember once we did like a tooting tour we went to the cemetery and um <laughs> there was there was a bird <laughs> and you were like there are lots of peasants around <laughs> And you meant to say pheasants, and, yeah. and every it was really disarming, and everybody just burst out laughing. We were all in this like dark, like cemetery, and it was dark vibes, and and you were like trying to tell a serious story, and then you were just like there are peasants everywhere, and everyone was really confused. Um, and I, and I sometimes I think, get my words mixed up. I had a speech therapist when I was young, and I really struggle sometimes. But I, I also like the I think the whole idea of you being like a renegade guide and and like sometimes not being so polished like that's what I really love about living London it's that you're not a like a a conventional blue badge guide (laughs) sometimes you'll take people you'll take people down really random alleyways and I don't know sometimes you make up I don't know if you make up stories (laughs) for the record I do not make up stories can we just can we just I just I just remember once Syrah was when Syrah was in Pakistan I did her one of her tours and I was so nervous because I was like I'm not a tour guide I don't know anything you did a recce with me and it was the first time I truly appreciated how difficult it is to be a tour guide (laughs) and um Everybody was waiting by the station, waiting for you, basically. <laughs> and I look like the untour guidey uh, tour guide person. <laughs> I don't even know if that's a word. I was like holding an iced caramel latte. <laughs> I love it. Oh and God. I was in the corner and all of the other people gathering together because they'd obviously spotted each other and thought, oh, these people look like they're going on a tour. And then just when it hit one o'clock, I went up to them and was like, hello, <laughs> I'm your tour guide. <laughs> And I remember from place to place having to like Wikipedia, um, you know, the stuff from the historical Mm. places that I was going to and just even just remembering all of those stories Mm. and be like having to perform. Mm. um, I found it really difficult. Like Mm. it was genuinely like one of the most um, out of my comfort zone things. And it was a group of like 25, 30 people. Mm. And I was like, I don't know how you do this. Sorry, why did you do that? <laughs> you were great. I though. don't know how you I do great. this, but but yeah. Do you have any? Do you have any like stories that you'd like to share with? Oh, there are so many. I guess because I'm so passionate about it, and because I rely less on the history and more about personal connections to places, and also the stories that I've discovered through just talking to people at those places, that it takes the pressure off. Because sometimes I try to to do it the other way, where I, you know, do a lot of research and. You know, um, I talk a lot about the history and then I, I I feel like I'm not myself and it always feels a little bit rigid. And as soon as I go off on a tangent and start talking about <laughs> things that interest me and, and things about, you know, London places and people, then I kind of I kind of just bring these places to life and I enjoy it so much more mm. and people enjoy it so much more. So I think for me, you know, being a tour guide is so much... I even feel like... Another reason I wrote this book as well is because I don't think anyone got what I did. And I don't think I got it as well because it, I'm not, I don't feel like I, I run a tour company or I'm a tour guide. I feel like it's so much more like layered than that. And without trying to sound like a completely pretentious prat, um, <laughs> I just, I feel like there's so much more to the story than that. And I think it literally started off as me wanting to open up places to people from marginalized backgrounds and it turned out to be something it, it was a personal journey of discovery, but it became so much bigger than that. Yeah. And so, 
you know, I really, really like wanted to just explain what I do in my own way. Because when people ask me, I just feel like my answers are so reductive. And I literally, it brings me dread when people ask me what living in London is, because <laughs> I don't know. It's so many things and it's nothing at the same time. It's yeah. literally like a philosophy um, and it's a way of life. And, and it's really hard to get that across. And, you know, even on my social media, when people are like, oh, you know, it's just, it's just tours. I, I just... It, I think no, people... it's not just no, tours. No, it's no, life. No, is it no, natural? No, no. <laughs> it's a philosophy. I, I know. I know. It's such a complete. <laughs> Don't idiot. reduce it to no, that. But it's true. It's true. It's literally. It's so. It's so. It's so hard to explain, and I think that's something I, I, why I wanted to write this book because I think so many things are so hard to explain, and it's so personal to my journey. You know, mm. uh, walking came from a really difficult place. You know, it came from a place of depression, anxiety. It came from a place of you know, feeling disempowered and needed mm. control in my life. It came from a place of loneliness and isolation, you know, growing up without having many friends and with, with you know, feeling like London was quite a cold place and really wanting to change that for myself and, and change that for other people as well. Because, you know, you hear these stories about how cities can be so isolating when actually, no, there can be places of community and warmth. And, you know, the more years that passed, the more I kind of embedded myself into that. And mm. I've always felt like a bit of a loner and an outcast. And it's only in the last sort of three, four years I've really been able to turn that on its head and really make it, turn it into my power, mm. my superpower, rather than something that really held me back in life. And it really did for many years. I, you know, I remember talking to my family members and I always just felt like, incredibly socially inept and yeah really like just a loser like you know always just going from job to job never being able to like I don't know express myself in ways that I've wanted to and living London just was a channel for me to just like be able to be myself and share the things that are so important to me and share mm. what I really love about my city and people mm. who've made me feel so blessed to be to be part of my city. Yeah, that's really beautiful. And I think um, everyone who's been on any of your tours, who've been, on, who've been to any of your events, who've read your book, they can all attest to the fact that you really do bring out the curiosity and the magic um, and help people to live in a different way. And if anything, just shine on a light off, off the possibility and off imagination. And like life doesn't have to be mundane and you can find magic in it every day mm. and I think that's what makes everything you do so accessible to anybody regardless of where they live what their mm. financial situation is um yeah so thank you and thank you for for coming on the show today oh, it's a pleasure. <laughs> um thank and you. I guess just in terms of like my final I guess what I've taken away from this in in the context of you know, people who are a bit stuck and who are in the in-between. Um, some of the key messages I've gotten is, you know, follow your, your values and the things that you're passionate about and, you know, don't rely too much on job titles and find your value and that kind of stuff. And that also really helps when you're in the in-between and people are asking mm. you constantly what you're doing and who mm. you are, um, like having to actually know that stuff for yourself. Um, and then walking as an escape, or walking as um, a way of finding peace and helping with things like anxiety and depression and making time for that and finding moments of wonderment and even in the situation that we're currently in, um, being able to find that in your local communities and in your local areas. Mm. Um, is there anything else you want to leave our guests with if you had like a closing, closing um, line? Yeah, I would just say that stay curious, stay positive, stay hopeful the in-between can be a place of 
great joy and adventure and magic and sometimes you have to push through that initial discomfort but as soon as you do you'll see the world will open up to you thank you so much hi tanya hi this is a lot better yeah okay Perfect. Okay, so I'm going to be a bit cringe um, and do a quick introduction and then I'll basically be like, hi, Tanya. Okay, no problem. <laughs> Perfect. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the second episode of The In-Between. I'm really excited to be joined today by Tanya, who's an entrepreneur. She's the founder of Chit Chat Chai, a multi-award winning restaurant based in London. Um, her food is delicious. You should definitely check it out. She's also um, been awarded as Young Entrepreneur of the Year and a finalist for Barclay Cards Every Woman Female Entrepreneur Awards. Tanya, I'm so happy to have you on the show today. Oh, thanks for having me, Noreen. This is all very exciting. Um, so I'm just going to jump straight into it. Um, how are you doing? How's life? What have you been up to recently? Oh God, where to start? Um, how am I doing? Yeah, I'm doing well. I'm I'm doing really well. And what have I been up to? Well, uh, God, how long is a piece of string? I think the past <laughs> year has been really uh, interesting in terms of um, I've completely, uh, I, I never thought this time last year I'd ever be in this position that I am today. So yeah, it's been a really crazy year, I think. It has been for everybody, you know, with the pandemic and all, but especially like small business owners, mm -hmm. like we really had to like redirect our lives in a way. So I've completely taken like a 360 change in my career. I've um, gone back to university. So I'm now doing an MBA. Oh, um, oh thank you very much. Yeah, it's, it's really challenging. Um, not something I'd considered doing in the past. And yeah, so it's all very exciting. But just want to say a huge thank you to Tanya for joining the show today and Chit Chat Chai is currently running as a delivery service in Clapham so be sure to hit that up and lastly a huge thank you to everyone who's listened in to this episode and I hope you join me for lots more.